Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. All right, we're going to jump into this series, Praying with Power. Uh, We started it several weeks ago, so I'm going to give us a little bit of a recap um, here. Uh, When we met a few weeks ago, because we were gone, and then Mika uh, had a great message about the heart and bitterness last week on Mother's Day. It's worth a watch. It was really good. Um, And uh, I'm going to recap some of the basic points from the first message here. Um, And there's two locations in scripture where we find this model prayer. We see it in Matthew chapter 6 and we see it in Luke 11. They are very similar, right? Matthew chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount and Luke 11 is a private conversation that's recorded between Jesus and the disciples. And so uh, we looked at Luke 11 because it's a direct instruction that Jesus gives his disciples And so as we looked at those direct instructions in Luke 11, 1 through 4, um, the last time we met, um, the first major point that that we needed to make was that the, let's see how we do here. (laughs) Let's try it again. All right. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, oftentimes, this is repeated. It's like I said, last time we talked, like, this is Americana. Like, you could go anywhere and just recite the Lord's Prayer, and people are just going to pipe up with you. Right? Like, they'll be like, oh, we're having a moment. Okay, like, uh, our Father, who are, like, what's happening? It's just part of our culture. What we don't often realize is that the repetition has, is healthy because we know it, but it's unhealthy because it becomes a ritual in order to bring us comfort. And maybe we didn't realize that he was teaching them how to pray. So we just keep reciting it, but he's teaching them how to pray. And so he's actually giving them protocols for prayer. And I believe this prayer, when we, when we understand it with some deeper depth, will take you into a great level of intimacy with God. You will encounter God in some new and some fresh ways. So, what were some of the basic foundational points I was making? Uh, The first is that the ecclesia is the divine force Jesus left for the sake of his kingdom. We looked in Luke chapter 6 at the calling of the disciples, right? We see Jesus establish purpose from the very moment that his disciples were called. When he's teaching his disciples how to pray, it's because they're called with purpose. That means that when they talk to God, there's purpose behind it. So we have a few DNA, kind of Harvest Valley DNA principles that we have defined, and and I'll list them because I listed them a few weeks ago, but it's a good reminder for us today. The ecclesia, 
the word, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. So I will use the word ekklesia to remind us that I'm not talking about a building and I'm not talking about this church model or structure. The ekklesia is a group of people who are called out once. The ekklesia is the point. Jesus came so that he might save and build his church, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is people. It is not a building. The ecclesia is a transformational force. We are not called just to get by. We're here to change the world. The church is not just a teaching center where you come and get taught something. It's a training center. We know that from Ephesians 4. That the work of, of the fivefold ministry is for the equipping of saints for the work of ministry. This is an equipping center. The church was intended to be a church without walls. Which means that as an ecclesia, as a group of people, we are not bound to a building. We're not bound in this community. We get to go everywhere and be the church wherever we go. Amen. We talked about the great confession is where we see the purpose of the church get established. Well, you might say, what's the great confession? Well, it's this conversation in Matthew 16 where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He says, well, Peter goes, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He goes, well done. Simon Barjona. Simon Son of the dove is what it literally means. Isn't that cool? Simon Barjona, well, he's talking about his dad, but it's kind of cool when you go, oh. So, well done. This was not revealed to you by man, but this was revealed to you by my father. In that passage, he says, Listen, upon this revelation that I am the Christ is what my entire ecclesia will be built upon, okay? We also understood that the word ecclesia in the common uh, era, Roman era, what actually was a governmental authority. Like, so when we think about how is it that Jesus didn't talk about taking over the world and governmentally, and yet, even after he rose from the dead, are you going to establish a kingdom? Like, are you, are you going to take it over now? He talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, in his kingdom. And he even explained to his disciples, like, it's a different kingdom. So, the, one of the reasons why they were constantly wondering what was happening is because of the terminology that Jesus co-opted from Roman government and then applied to a faith base, which had never happened before. Like two big words, well, there's three big things. The first thing is the word ecclesia was a group of governmental authorities over a region. So when there's a riot in Ephesus because Paul's like preaching the gospel and the, the silversmiths go out of business for the goddess of Diana. Do you remember this story? 
in Ephesians, in Acts, and, and, and all of a sudden there's a riot in the city, right? The, the silversmiths start a riot, and it says that they called the assembly of the city together to bring judgment on Paul. Well, that word assembly is ecclesia. Okay, it's not like they called the church of the city. It wasn't used in a religious sense until the King James Version. So when we look at this concept of ecclesia, it was a known governmental authority. So the second term that was co-opted, Jesus co-opted from the Roman government, is the word apostle. That is not a religious term. The term apostle means a general who oversees the taking of territory. They're sent to go establish Roman culture in places that they would conquer. Okay? So when he's talking about ecclesia and he names them apostles, they're like, we're going to war. Like they did not think, oh, it's just the heavenly kingdom somewhere. They're like, no, he says apostle. He says ecclesia. And then in Matthew 18, he pulls a real whopper on him and he says, listen, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, talking about judging a situation. Right? Talking about, in Matthew 18, we're talking about reconciliation. Right? And then he, he just throws this on the end of it. Right? Well, that's called the Roman conventus. Savanorium or something other. There's some other words on there. Latin, I don't know. I just call it the conventus. It's a convention of two or three Roman citizens, anywhere that gathered together, could judge a situation as if Caesar was present with them. That was a common thing that happened in Rome, in the Roman empires. When there was no ruling authority, if you were a Roman citizen, you could get two or three, you could make an agreement and say, well, according to Caesar, this is how it's going to be here. That's one of the authorities and rights that you had as a citizen of Rome. If you were in a territory that didn't have any actual leadership there, as citizens, you could Call a, call a spade a spade. You could just call, make the judgment there. So Jesus brings these three government, Roman governmental um, words and, and kind of terms and, and, and roles, brings them all into Christianity, which, of course, wasn't Christianity. He was teaching his disciples at the time how to follow him. And he's giving them title. And he's saying that there is ecclesia, that they're apostles. It's pretty cool. Jesus meant to establish his church, his ecclesia, with authority. He never meant for those who were his followers to not have authority. From the very beginning. Then we see that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray with purpose. At the beginning of Luke 11 very beginning of verse 2, it says, when you pray, say, and we kind of broke that down a little bit. The word pray is prosukamai. It means to prosecute. It means to decree a thing. It is not uh, beseeching, begging, hopeful, wishful prayer. It is a God, I decree a thing. I'm asking you do a thing, but it, there's an authority behind it. The word literally means to throw yourself at it. 
And then the word say is the word lego, right? It means to put things in order. So when you prosukamai lego. <laughs> so when you declare, put it in order. Think about what you're saying. When you pray, put it in an order, and then God actually gives them an order. Isn't that cool? I love it. So um, that was last time we gathered kind of the introduction um, of those terms. And now we're going to look at this first section, which is our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm going to start simply. The position of a son must be where we start to pray from. The position of a son must be where we pray from. Romans 8 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Say sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This opening protocol is to remind us about our identity. Who are you? If you're able to say, Our Father then you are a child of God. You are a son of God. Did you know that sons have priority? Children get a priority. I love y'all, but my wife's at a conference this weekend, so she's not here, and if my amazing nine-year-old daughter came in and needed me, y'all just have to wait. I keep my phone here because if my son or my older son or daughter needed me, I, they get me. Kevin be winging it. <laughs> Sons have priority. They're not second class. They're, they're not ones that we leave till whenever we feel like getting back to them. Our children have a priority in our hearts and in our minds. We learn how to be good moms and dads ultimately because we have a good heavenly father. Sons have priority and guess what? You've been adopted. You have been adopted. Amen. So it reminds us of our identity. Our Father also denotes the unity of the children of God. If you can say, notice that Jesus didn't say, come to him and say, my Father, me, my Father. Instead, he directs his children to say, our Father. Because sometimes we need to pray without selfish ambition. 
Sometimes when we pray, we need to remember that it's bigger than me. It is bigger than me. We're really good at praying really selfish prayers, aren't we? I mean, this is my need. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is the thing. But Jesus actually tells us to say, our Father, our Father. He brings unity. He says, listen, this is about the collective children of God when you pray. Your faith is bigger than you. That was a great place to say amen, pastor. It's about us, not me. And this should purify your ambition. Why are you coming? Our Father. Oh, God, help me see past myself when I pray. We have a microwave instant gratification society that has now told us that God is a genie in a bottle who will give us whatever we want if we declare it and say it. Many of us pray that way. Actually, we can come and lay our ambition and say, just like Jesus had to pray in the garden, God, not my will, but your will be done. I know this is your will, therefore I can prosuka my Lego. Because I know what his will is. He's made his will really clear. He even wrote a whole book of it. Like he gave us his will to understand what he's doing, what he's saying. What he's thinking. So we don't have to operate with selfish ambition. We can come and say, our Father, God help me remember that I'm not just here for me. Purify my ambition, God. thing is staying in this place of acknowledging God as Father should remind you of your place, your authority, and this should take you into a deeper relationship with God. As we come before our Father, there is an intimacy that He wants to have with us. As a father and a son, And I thought of Ephesians 3, this amazing prayer that Paul prays, starting, I think, in verse 14 through 21. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our Father, who wants to fill us with all the fullness of God, who wants us to know His love, who wants us to know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know 
the love that surpasses knowledge? When we cry out our Father, it's actually this calling that God is drawing us into a place to be sons of God who know Him well. Many of us didn't have the best relationships with our fathers. So it can be challenging. <laughs> it can be challenging to understand how a good father operates because we've been wounded and hurt or abandoned by a father. There's a reason why Paul prayed that they may have strength to comprehend. Because it's not natural. His love is not natural. Even the best models that we, can, we have or that we try to be in this world fail miserably <laughs> compared to the love of the Father. So what I would like for you to do right now is just take a moment and just have a conversation with the Father who loves you. He is not a distant God. He is not looking at you from far away wondering, you know, how you could even sit in a church. I mean, I, I know people who feel so guilty when they come to there like, I shouldn't even be here. Listen, he loves you. He is here for you. He wants to encounter you, and he is here now to encounter you with his love and his goodness because he's a good father and he loves you. So let's just take a moment of silence and I want you to just say, hi, Father. However you feel comfortable doing that. Some people are like, Papa God. Some people are like, hey, big guy upstairs. But however you want to, Father, teach me what it is to know you better. Can we just pray for that? God, teach me what it is and how to know you better. Just take a moment. Father, I pray that you just reveal your heart to each person here today, that they encounter who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's the first part, our Father, right? And it's really interesting because then it's, it's weird that Jesus would say, our Father who's in heaven. Okay, okay, we, okay we're not going to pray to my dad, like... My earthly father, he doesn't, know. he doesn't carry the place of prayer, right? And I think the disciples probably knew that you didn't pray to your actual dad. So, so when he says, our father in heaven, it's like, wait, what? Why, why is Jesus making this a point? Well, in the Greek, it's very interesting. It says, it actually is more plural. It says, in the heavens. Our father in the heavens, in both translations, our father in the heavens. But that opens up a theological wormhole. There's more than one heaven. 
So it's very interesting because we actually, there's some biblical precedent to there being multiple heavens, right? Here's what's happening. By praying this prayer, Jesus praying his prayer, he's acknowledging the realms of God's authority. He is the Father over all the heavens. There's not an area or arena where he isn't God. So the first heaven is like our sky, right? We get this in Genesis 1 at creation. It says that the Spirit hovered over the deep. And then they created a separation between the water on the ground and the water in the sky, the heavens, right? So the word sky there, they use heavens. So we see that the heavens means earthly skies. Like when we go outside and we take in the beauty of this place, we pinch ourselves often like, Lord, you called us here? Like, what? This is gorgeous. And I, I got friends that are like, dude, you're going to love it here. It's so beautiful. I'm like, this is chump change. <laughs> Y'all got to gotta come up to Sandpoint, sorry. Like where we live is next level. Oh, Yep. So, but when we look at the skies and we look at the mountains, that's the first heaven, right? And, and oftentimes you will see um, this referred to often when it talks about the night sky. They'll use the word heaven. Now, the second heaven is the spiritual realm. This is Ephesians 6.12, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the New American Standard. There is a, a place where principalities and powers rule spiritually over the earth. That is your second heaven. This is spiritual warfare territory. Demons are real. Angels are real. It's pretty cool. Because you're known in that realm. I mean, just think about like wandering around and there's this other dimension where wherever you go, there's just a beam of light between you and the third heaven, which is God, because you're seated up next to Jesus. You're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which is more about the third heaven. But you're also seated in the spiritual realm. It's like a beam of light goes wherever you go, right to heaven, where you're seated, to where you are now. And guess where that goes through? It goes right through the second heaven. It's an analogy. I am not giving you a, a doctrine. That's an analogy. Just to be clear, because I know I'm going to get a phone call. What were you talking about, Pastor? So... The reality of what's happening in the second heaven is this is where spiritual warfare happens. This is where angels are moving. This is where demons are attacking or plotting and planning. Um, it's, it's many people that I know actually can see into that realm 
right? They actually have a spiritual gift of seeing, and they can kind of see things that are going on in that second heaven. They'll see angels. They'll see demons. They'll see things that's happening there. It's not uncommon. One of the realities of all of that, God's in charge of the second heaven. He's in charge of all that. Fear go, Holy Spirit come. Do not fear spiritual warfare. Do not fear spiritual warfare. And we reject this notion that I shouldn't pray for patience. Actually, do you want to be like Jesus? Quit praying prayers that keep you away from the character of God. I'm sorry about that. All right. <laughs> so fun. There are spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6 is talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. When you put on your armor of God, you might not see it in the natural, but it's seen in the spiritual. When, okay, I'm going to be real for a second. If you struggle with habitual sin, for many men it's pornography. If you struggle with that, you, this stuff is seen in the heavenly realm. When you compromise yourself, the enemy sees you're compromised. When you sin, you're, say, you're like, oh, I'm going to dim my light for a while. And they're like, oh, his light went down. What's going on over there? Let's go see what's going on with this guy. Let's go see what's going on with her because she's gossiping again. Light's dimming. The enemies go, oh, oh, there we go. They're like, I don't want to mess with that one. His light's too bright. So I'll mess with all the dim lights around him. Huh? Come on now. So... God is still God over the heavenly realm. It is a big priority for us to operate spiritually healthy lives so that our light shines bright. Let me tell you what. If you've been dimmed, you're like, oh, man, I don't even know if I got a light. There's grace for you today to be completely cleansed and for that light to shine bright again. Today, like now. Okay? All right, so you do not have to stay that way. Don't do it. Don't stay that way. Please, please don't. The enemy would be like, oh, there's never, you, you keep failing. There's no way for you to win. There's really been no improvement in your life in the last 10 years. Lies, right? It's from the devil. He's like, oh, the light's flickering. I'm going to go harder. Can I, can I just say, it's really nice to come together in a community, in a body of believers where a bunch of lights are shining and I can rub up on somebody and they're like, oh, real bright. And I'm like, okay, I need some of that. 
oh, Lord, help me. And then you encounter a little bit more light, and you experience his presence again just by being around people who love Jesus, right? Like, and you're like, oh, this is refreshing to my soul. Oh, okay, yes, and God, I do receive your grace, and I'm sorry that I haven't been receiving your grace. Bing, lights on. Sometimes we need to get around each other just to be reminded of how bright the light can be. Come on, amen? That's a great analogy. I'm liking it. Off the top of the head. I was not planned. I don't know. You might think God's like trying to say something. So the third heaven is the heaven. Capital H, heaven, actual location. This is God's dwelling place, right? Second Corinthians 12, Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. This is where God is. His glory resides but he has authority over all these things. Listen, Jesus is stating the jurisdiction, the realms of authority that God the Father has. So when we say, our Father, who has all authority over all the heavens, that should cause you to maybe prosuka my lego a little. Because you can see the magnitude of who he is. How much power he has. There is power in the name. Don't use it lightly. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, in the heavens, hallowed be your name. His name, what this means to be hallowed is that it is set and established here as holy. To be hallowed wasn't just like, oh, we're going to try in our hearts to keep it holy. It's actually tied to location. Like, it's interesting, for something to be hallowed is to be set and established where it is. So, to say, hallowed be your name, our Father, who's in the heavens, hallowed be your name, may your name be set and established here. Here. Right here. Let your name be set and established in me. Again. It's very interesting. Jesus, when he talks about our Father, he talks about our identity as sons of God, as children of God. He's telling us our place in relationship to him. And then he says in the heavens, he's got authority over all the things, all the places. He's got authority over all the things. And so let his name be made holy here. So he goes from, from okay, I'm a son, I'm a child of God, and all the heavens, he's big, and then whew, here. Let his name be holy here. Moses asked God in Exodus 3, he says, who do I say is sending me, right? He's a burning bush encounter. He says, who's sending me? He says, 
God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. See, this, his name was the proof that, he, that Moses needed for the children of Israel to believe him was his name. Who sent you? I am has sent me. A great paragraph in the book, Change the World with Prayer by Wayne Anderson says, In view of the commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. The sages of old restricted the use of the personal name that was given to Moses as his legal authority in the heavens. This will make more sense in just a minute. He gave Moses his personal name, which gave him legal authority in the heavens. This trumped the authority of Pharaoh and even Pharaoh's gods. What is important is that if you are going to use the name for any purpose, it ought to be for your jurisdiction and for nothing common or with vain speech. The sages eventually gave the Jewish people the reference Adonai to use in order to be careful not to abuse the holy name of God. When we use his name, and we're going to talk about this a little more, but when we use his name, we establish things as holy. We establish God's territory. We expand territory by making places holy, by his name being hallowed wherever I go. Wherever I go, his name is made holy. I love hanging out with people who are not Christians. And once they learn I'm a pastor, their language changes usually. Sometimes not, but you know. When then I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in ministry. You know, I've been serving as a, as a leader at my church for 12 years or, you know, whatever it is. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry for that joke I told. I'm sorry that I, like, because where I go, we make his name holy. People assume that about the role. Who are you? You're a son. You're a daughter whose dad has all authority in the heavens. And then wherever you go, you make his name holy. You're set apart to take jurisdiction everywhere you go by his name. I thought that was cool. Yeah, this model prayer protocol establishes a position of God's authority in every realm as his name is above every name everywhere. Come on, we know this to be true. His name is above every name. Jesus taught that in his name prayers would be answered and glory would come to the Father. John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's salvation in his name. And there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Philippians 2. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I absolutely am in love with just three phrases right now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because... I get to take jurisdiction in the name. That means that, remember how I talked about the conventus, right? And the ecclesia. Like from the foundation, God left his people here to take territory from the enemy. So where does God want you to start? Right here. Right here. Right here. Let your name be hallowed in me. I love that when we got saved, it says, the, the scripture says that he has sealed us and given us the spirit. Seal, a seal is a really cool thing because what a seal does is it preserves, right? Like you want to preserve something, you'd seal it up to make sure it's preserved. But then also when it came to governmental authority, you they would enact rules based on a ring or a signet or something that they would use wax and they would put the seal of authority on the document to prove this was really from that person. It was their seal. That was on it. So he puts his seal on us, and normally we think, yeah, that seal is for the sake of preservation, to keep us holy, which is actually biblical, right? Second Timothy chapter 2 um, says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. Listen, establishing... The Father's name in us, it sets his authority where we operate. It seals to preserve, but it also sets us apart with a specific privilege, with specific rights that only come from the Father. Because he decreed a thing over us and he stamped it. And he put his seal of authority on it. His name seals our authority where we operate. We have the name of God upon us as sons. His seal is a judgment from heaven. And we carry his might and authority as we set him apart and we set his name apart. And we set ourselves apart. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. That's good. Keep away from wickedness. Right? You name the name of the Lord. Keep away from it. 
as we pray, we are establishing his name as holy in our lives and in the arenas of life where we carry authority. When we make his name holy, we establish his name in the physical and spiritual realms. That's part of why he left us here. It's to take territory from the enemy. So for review, I think I got through them all. Yep. We pray from the position of sons of God with him as our father. This is, a deep, this is an invitation to a deeper walk with God, to let him be your father and to be a son of God. We acknowledge that the Father has all authority in all the realms. He's given us authority in our world to establish his jurisdiction in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We establish in our prayers that his name is holy, set apart, and it's glorified in all things. His name upon us, listen, there's like six places where it talks about God's seal being on his people, right? In Revelation, it actually mentions it three times, these seals that are put on the people of God that actually preserve them and keep them and help them through whatever the process is. So his seal is good. And the seal of God on our lives, his name written on our foreheads is a seal on us. It's like, that's like Revelation, I think, 9. His name is a seal through which we operate in authority. I encourage you to begin to dig deeper daily. We need daily encounters with God. And if this next week, all you're able to do in your time alone with God is say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Take some time on it. Let it transform your heart about who he is, about who you are, about where God's authority goes to and what authority he's given us. God, make your name holy. Will you stand with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness in our lives. I thank you that you are doing a new thing. You're awakening people to the power of intimacy with you and praying in just a simple manner through which to experience you and encounter you. Father, we break off every lie that the enemy has told you about prayer. We break off every deception that has been there about your value and your worth. Jesus, thank you so much for making it simple and yet deep. Lord, I, I, I ask that you would transform my heart and my mind and you would transform the hearts and the minds of every person here that we would no longer just go day by day not recognizing where your name is holy and where it isn't in our lives. Not recognizing 
Father, where it is that you've planted us to take authority and to take territory, not recognizing where we are no longer thinking as a son, but we're thinking like an orphan. Forgive us, God. We've been adopted. We have a father. So, God, I pray that we would learn to receive your love, learn to receive your goodness. Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for you. Will you just put your hand on your heart? Pray after me, Heavenly Father. We thank you for coming today. Meeting with me. I'm grateful to be a son. I'm grateful to be a son. Thank you for being a good father. I recognize your authority is over every realm, in every heaven, in every spiritual space. You have all authority. And I thank you, God, that you've placed me here to make your name holy, to extend your kingdom everywhere I go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.